Good morning, Radiant. When I became your pastor 14 months ago, I never imagined a scenario where I would only be coming to you online, but here we are. We're living in a season that's unexpected and a season that has a lot of uncertainty moving forward. If you're anything like me, you have probably asked the what if questions or played the different scenarios of how this thing can play out. What if I get sick? What if a loved one who's far away were to get sick? What if the economy tanks? What if they run out of food at the store? What if my company starts to make cuts? These are our legitimate concerns. And for some, perhaps these thoughts have been paralyzing. I, I think about the, all the scenarios and all the things that could happen. And I, I tell you, I, I can't imagine what it, it would be like to walk through this season without the hope that I have in Jesus and without his community, without the church. It's vital that we are in community with one another to encourage and help one another. And I'm really encouraged to see Bible verses being shared. One of my favorites is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, probably one of the most shared verses during a time like this. Where Isaiah says this, he says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will hold you, I will help you. That's an incredible passage and we could all say amen to that. But if you are a parent, you would know that just because you tell someone don't do something doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to do it. I know that applies to me. Someone could tell me to stop acting a certain way. It doesn't mean I'm just going to automatically stop. Give me some reasons for it. But yet when we read this promise in this passage, we read the don't parts. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Maybe your translation says fear not or do not be dismayed. We read those so loud and we, we tend to miss the details. So what I want to do today is go back and take a look at that verse in the context of that passage and, and, and see just how powerful this verse is and, and dig into those details because it's those details that help us to follow through on the don'ts. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 41. Now, as you turn, let me give you a little background. Isaiah was a prophet in the kingdom of Judah during the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah. It's about the mid to late 8th century before Christ. Now, his ministry was during a time when both these kingdoms had experienced prosperity, but now the, the, the power of Assyria was, was rising and there was a threat to them. And, and there, was, there began to be a decline, a decline spiritually, a decline in so many ways. So Isaiah speaks to his contemporaries in that time, but he also speaks... To, to generations ahead, those who would end up in exile in Babylon and those who would return home one day. He speaks to, to three different historical settings, but yet all of it applied to his audience who were afraid of the impending danger of the Assyrians. They say that Isaiah is a prophet of faith because he pointed to having a faith in God that he is faithful to fulfill his promises he wanted God's people to persevere through darkness. He wanted God's people to wait in faith on God's timing. It's no wonder that uh, the Old Testament quotes Isaiah more than any other prophets. Actually, all the prophets combined. So let's read Isaiah chapter 41, starting in verse 1. Listen in silence before me, you lands beyond the sea. Bring your strongest arguments. Come now and speak. The court is ready for your case. Who has stirred up this king from the east, rightly calling him to God's service? Who gives the man victory over many nations and permits him to trample their kings underfoot? 
With his sword, he reduces armies to dust. With his bow, he scatters them like chaff before the wind. He chases them away and goes on safely, though he is walking over unfamiliar ground. Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. The lands beyond the sea watch in fear. Remote lands tremble and mobilize for war. The idol makers encourage one another, saying to each other, be strong. The carver encourages the goldsmith and the molder helps out the anvil. Good, they say, it's coming along fine. Carefully, they join the parts together. They fasten the thing in place so it won't fall over. But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, descendants from Abraham, my friend, I have called you back from the ends of the earth, saying, you are my servant, for I have chosen you and will not throw you away. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You see, in these first eight verses, we get God setting up this court scene where he is saying, essentially, that he is sovereign over the events of human history, over the events that are taking place at their time and at their place. In verse 2, when it says that God is stirring up this king from the east, it's a reference to Cyrus of Persia, this great king with a great army that would eventually take over. They would eventually uh, take over the Babylonians who are holding God's people captive. And he says in verse 2 through 4 that, that it, he is the cause, he is the reason, that God is the one who's actually stirred him up. He's a servant of God. And then we see the response of the nations, the, the lands beyond the sea, the, the, the coastlands, maybe in your translation. He says that they are preparing for war, that they are building idols, that they are nailing it down so that their idol could stand up and their idol could stand up to rescue them and save them because the writing is on the wall. They know they can't stand against this great king who's coming. But then in verses 8 through 10, he brings a message of hope to his people by contrasting the fate of the nations to the fate of his people. I mean, his people should be afraid or should have some fear, right? I mean, I imagine that's the feeling they must be feeling because their captors are afraid. But he says, don't be afraid that he's chosen them. He assures them that as God's people, that what he has put in place will be for their benefit. So they should not fear. Which brings us to verse 10, the very verse we started this, this time with, the verse that we quote so easily on Facebook and social media. Let's take a closer look at that. Because you remember I said, it's one thing to get the, the imperatives, the commands, don't do this, don't be that. But without all the other smaller details that we often miss, we... We don't really have the motivation to fulfill those commands, the don'ts. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Well, he gives us reasons in this verse. We just sometimes gloss over those. Read it again. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. He gives us reasons. I am with you, I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. See, the key to fearlessness is believing that God is with you. It's believing that he is your God, 
that he will strengthen you, he will help you, and he will hold you up. Now, it's not just a, a mental acknowledgement of those truths that God is going to help me, that God is powerful, that God is present. It's, it's, it's actually applying them to our heart where it actually changes the way we think and the way we live our life. I mean, if the key to fearlessness is believing that God is with you, that he's your God, that he'll strengthen you and help you and hold you up, you could, you could almost rewrite that thing and just say, the key to fearlessness is believing in God's presence, his provision, and his power. You, you could even rewrite that and say, the key to fearlessness is God. He's your God, and he will hold you and strengthen you because he's present. See, fearlessness does not come from God telling us, and it's really for the Israelites, it didn't come for, from Isaiah saying, everything's going to work out. Everything's going everything's to work out just the way you had hoped and wished. And for us, the fearlessness doesn't come from knowing that we won't get sick or it won't affect our home in some form or fashion. It, it comes from knowing who God is, his provision, his presence, and his power no matter what may come, that God is with you, that he's your God, and he will help you. Now, some of you are going to say, wait a minute, Jerome. Wasn't this promise made specifically to a specific circumstance, a specific people, a specific time, a specific place? The answer is yes. And, and so you may be wondering, can we really apply this to our life? In, in, in a way, no, because there's the specifics of how God did fulfill that promise to those people that it was originally spoken to. But at the same time, we can claim this as Christians today as a promise for us because the focus of this is, is really on God's character. And God's character stays the same. God's character stands. And so as Christians, we can claim this because it, des it describes who God is and what he does and how he cares for his people. See, just as God took care of his people in the time of King Cyrus of Persia. He takes care of his people today in the time of coronavirus, in the time of self-isolation and whatever else may come. You know, the, the beautiful thing about this verse is we read it and we see these immediate reasons for why we should not fear, these demonstrations of God's infinite power. But there's something more here. There's a, there's a beautiful story of grace there is a beautiful story of grace because the fact of the matter is to those captives who were in Babylon, who were reading this, and this is applying to, to those captives, they were people who had reason to fear. You see, they had rejected God. It was because of their rejection as a people that they find themselves captives in Babylon. And yet God doesn't say, be afraid for I have rejected you. Be discouraged because I'm no longer your God. I will not help you. He says just the opposite. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. This, this passage that focuses on God's infinite power also speaks of his loving mercy and grace. And when you take God's infinite power and his loving mercy and grace and you put it together, we need not fear. Key to fearlessness is believing that God is with you, that he is your God. He will strengthen you, help you, and hold you. 
So what does that mean for us in Westfield, Hamilton County, 2020, in the midst of self-isolation and coronavirus and our kids doing homework at home? You may say to yourself, yeah, I understand those truths, Jerome. I understand how that is true of God, but I kind of feel like that dad who had the sick kid who went to Jesus asking for Jesus to do something and looked at him and said, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Once again, it's different. You could acknowledge the truth or you can apply it to your heart and to your mind. And if you need help applying it to your heart and mind, that's okay, so do I. This is why at this time, we need to lean into those things that feed us, that feed the awareness of God's presence, His power, and His provision. That's reading the Word and listening, listening to the Dwell app that, that you have on your phone as you, as you fold laundry. It's, it's spending time in prayer and finding a, a time of silence to spend time with him, it's maybe it's time to, to, to memorize scripture. Many of us haven't done that since we were children. We hide God's word in our heart. And as we do, we find a greater awareness moment by moment that God is at work and he's present. Find those things, lean into those things that help feed God's awareness, your awareness of God in your life. Because God is with you. He is your God. He will help you and strengthen you and hold you up by his victorious right hand. Secondly, I would say walk in the spirit. You know, what's funny is he says, I am with you in Isaiah 41.10 to a people in, in Babylon and in exile. But as Christians today, as believers today, we have so much more of an experience of God's presence because as believers, we have the indwelling of God's spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and the function of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to bold witness because there is a great awareness of God's activity in this world and the need to share. Listen, we have the opportunity in this season for bold witness, for fearlessness in the message of the good news and the hope that we have to a world that's turned upside down and looking for hope. Now, if you're not a Christian today, my my encourage to you is call out to him. I mean, I don't know if you call Radiant Home, if you just stumbled upon this message and this service, if you're looking for something. And you would say to me, well, Jerome, I don't know that I could really say that God is my God. Well, that's easy. Call out to him. Because when God is your God, he's present. He will strengthen you and he'll help you. The message of, the, of Jesus Christ is this, that we've all fallen short, that we all need grace and mercy, that we all deserve punishment. But it's only because what Jesus did, he lived a life that we could not live and died a death that we deserve, that we can know him and say, God is our God. I'd invite you to cross the line of faith. Maybe it's something that you've considered and rejected. Maybe there's just things that You've wanted to put off this decision because you, was, you weren't sure how it would affect your life, but now you find yourself asking questions with us. Perhaps today's 
the moment you cross that line of faith. And if you do, I would encourage you to reach out to us. Send me an email, jerome at radiantchristianlife.church or .org. They both work. Call the office, say, I need some help in this new life of faith. We want to, we'll get staff members. We'll, we'll find a way to walk alongside you in this new walk of faith. Imagine what the next few weeks would hold if we do walk with the confidence of God's presence, his help. I don't know what the last week has held for you. I don't know the thoughts that have gone through your mind. But boy, if we can really find ourselves in a place aware of the help that we have, couldn't tomorrow be a day that has less fear, less discouragement, and more hope? No matter what may come, may you walk by his spirit. May you walk by his spirit and proclaim the hope that we have because we have hope. May you navigate the coming days, no matter what may come, with a great confidence that God is with you, that he is your God that he will strengthen you, help you, and hold you up. Let me pray as we close this time. Father, I thank you. We thank you for your word to us. You revealed yourself to us throughout human history so that we today would be able to have that revelation to know who you are and what you've done on our behalf and what you've promised to do. In your word, Lord, we see a mighty God with infinite power, full of grace and mercy. We need that today, Lord. Increase our awareness, increase our belief and our trust. It's not that many of us don't know this truth, it's perhaps that we forget it. It's Perhaps that we know it in our head, but haven't applied it to our heart today. Lord, help our unbelief. May we, as the church, live lives that will point to you, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to those we come in contact with over the next coming weeks, to bring you glory. And that through all of this, your kingdom advances. We need your help, Lord. Thank you that you are here to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.